0: section 53 of volume 1 e of history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of 1688 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org HISTORY OF ENGLAND FROM THE INVASION OF JULIUS CAESAR TO THE REVOLUTION OF 1688 BY DAVID HUME VOLUME 1 E SECTION 53 CHAPTER 60 PART 6 THE STATES, ALARMED AT ALL THESE STEPS, SENT ORDERS TO THEIR AMBASSADORS TO ENDEAVOR THE RENEWAL OF THE TREATY OF ALLIANCE which had been broken off by the abrupt departure of st john not to be unprepared they equipped a fleet of a hundred and fifty sail and took care by their ministers at london to inform the council of the state of that armament this intelligence instead of striking terror into the english republic was considered as a menace and further confirmed the parliament in their hostile resolutions the minds of men in both states were every day more irritated against each other and it was not long before these humours broke forth into action tromp an admiral of great renown received from the states the command of a fleet of forty-two sail in order to protect the dutch navigation against the privateers of the english he was forced by stress of weather as he alleged to take shelter in the road of dover where he met with blake who commanded an english fleet much inferior in number who was the aggressor in the action which ensued between these two admirals both of them men of such prompt and fiery dispositions it is not easy to determine since each of them sent to his own state a relation totally opposite in all its circumstances to that of the other and yet supported by the testimony of every captain in his fleet blake pretended that having given a signal to the dutch admiral to strike tromp instead of complying fired a broadside at him tromp asserted that he was preparing to strike, and that the English admiral, nevertheless, began hostilities. It is certain that the Admiralty of Holland, who are distinct from the Council of State, had given Tromp no orders to strike, but had left him to his own discretion with regard to that vain but much-contested ceremonial. They seemed willing to introduce the claim of an equality with the new commonwealth, and to interpret the former respect paid the english flag as a deference due only to the monarchy this circumstance forms a strong presumption against the narrative of the dutch admiral the whole orange party it must be remarked to which trump was suspected to adhere was desirous of a war with england blake though his squadron consisted only of fifteen vessels reinforced after the battle began by eight under captain bourne maintained the fight with bravery for five hours and sunk one ship of the enemy and took another night parted the combatants and the dutch fleet retired towards the coast of holland the populace of london were enraged and would have insulted the dutch ambassadors who lived at chelsea had not the council of state sent guards to protect them when the states heard of this action of which the consequences were easily foreseen they were in the utmost consternation they immediately dispatched Pa, pensionary of holland as their ambassador extraordinary to london and ordered him to lay before the parliament the narrative which tromp had sent of the late rencounter they entreated them by all the bands of their common religion and common liberties not to precipitate themselves into hostile measures but to appoint commissioners who should examine every circumstance of the action and clear up the truth which lay in obscurity and they pretended that they had given no orders to their admiral to offer any violence to the english but would severely punish him if they found upon inquiry that he had been guilty of an action which they so much disapproved the imperious parliament would hearken to none of these reasons or remonstrances elated by the numerous successes which they had obtained over their domestic enemies they thought that everything must yield to their fortunate arms and they gladly seized the opportunity which they sought of making war upon the states they demanded that without any further delay or inquiry reparation should be made for all the damages which the english had sustained and when this demand was not complied with they dispatched orders for commencing war against the united provinces blake sailed northwards with a numerous fleet and fell upon the herring buses which were escorted by twelve men of war all these he either took or dispersed tromp followed him with a fleet of above a hundred sail when these two admirals were within sight of each other and preparing for battle a furious storm attacked them blake took shelter in the english harbors the dutch fleet was dispersed and received great damage sir george askew though he commanded only forty ships according to the english accounts engaged near plymouth the famous de Ruyter, who had under him fifty ships of war with thirty merchantmen the dutch ships were indeed of inferior force to the english de reuter the only admiral in europe who has attained a renown equal to that of the greatest general defended himself so well that askew gained no advantage over him knight parted them in the greatest heat of the action de reuter next day sailed off with his convoy the english fleet had been so shattered in the fight that it was not able to pursue near the coast of kent blake seconded by bourne and penn met a dutch squadron nearly equal in numbers commanded by de witt and de reuter a battle was fought much to the disadvantage of the dutch their rear admiral was boarded and taken two other vessels were sunk and one blown up the dutch next day made sail towards holland the English were not so successful in the Mediterranean. Van Galen, with much superior force, attacked Captain Baddely, and defeated him. He bought, however, his victory with the loss of his life. Sea fights are seldom so decisive as to disable the vanquished from making head in a little time against the victors. Tromp, seconded by de Ruyter, Met near the Goodwins, with Blake, whose fleet was inferior to the Dutch, but who resolved not to decline the combat. A furious battle commenced where the admirals on both sides, as well as the inferior officers and seamen, exerted great bravery. In this action the Dutch had the advantage. Blake himself was wounded. The Garland and Bonaventure were taken two ships were burned and one sunk and night came opportunely to save the english fleet after this victory tromp in a bravado fixed a broom to his mainmast as if he were resolved to sweep the sea entirely of all english vessels great preparations were made in england in order to wipe off this disgrace a gallant fleet of eighty sail was fitted out blake commanded and dean under him together with monk who had been sent for from scotland when the english lay off portland they descried near break of day a dutch fleet of seventy-six vessels sailing up the channel along with a convoy of three hundred merchantmen who had received orders to wait at the isle of rea till the fleet should arrive to escort them tromp and under him de Ruyter commanded the dutch this battle was the most furious that had yet been fought between these warlike and rival nations three days was the combat continued with the utmost rage and obstinacy and blake who was victor gained not more honour than tromp who was vanquished the dutch admiral made a skilful retreat and saved all the merchant ships, except thirty. He lost, however, eleven ships of war, had two thousand men slain, and near fifteen hundred taken prisoners. The English, though many of their ships were extremely shattered, had but one sunk. Their slain were not much inferior in number to those of the enemy all these successes of the english were chiefly owing to the superior size of their vessels an advantage which all the skill and bravery of the dutch admirals could not compensate by means of ship-money an imposition which had been so much complained of and in some respects with reason the late king had put the navy into a situation which it had never attained in any former reign and he ventured to build ships of a size which was then unusual but the misfortunes which the dutch met with in battle were small in comparison of those which their trade sustained from the english their whole commerce by the channel was cut off even that to the baltic was much infested by english privateers their fisheries were totally suspended a great number of their ships above sixteen hundred, had fallen into the hands of the enemy. And all this distress they suffered, not for any national interests or necessity, but from vain points of honor and personal resentments, of which it was difficult to give a satisfactory account to the public. They resolved therefore to gratify the pride of the Parliament, and to make some advances towards peace. They met not, however with a favourable reception and it was not without pleasure that they learned the dissolution of that haughty assembly by the violence of cromwell an event from which they expected a more prosperous turn to their affairs the zealous republicans in the parliament had not been the chief or first promoters of the war but when it was once entered upon they endeavored to draw from it every possible advantage on all occasions they set up the fleet in opposition to the army and celebrated the glory and successes of their naval armaments they insisted on the intolerable expense to which the nation was subjected and urged the necessity of diminishing it by a reduction of the land forces they had ordered some regiments to serve on board the fleet in the quality of marines. And Cromwell, by the whole train of their proceedings, evidently saw that they had entertained a jealousy of his power and ambition, and were resolved to bring him to a subordination under their authority. Without scruple or delay, he resolved to prevent them on such firm foundations was built the credit of this extraordinary man that though a great master of fraud and dissimulation he judged it superfluous to employ any disguise in conducting this bold enterprise he summoned a general council of officers and immediately found that they were disposed to receive whatever impressions he was pleased to give them most of them were his creatures had owed their advancement to his favour, and relied entirely upon him for their future preferment. The breach being already made between the military and civil powers, when the late king was seized at Holdenby, the general officers regarded the Parliament as at once their creature and their rival, and thought, that they themselves were entitled to share among them those offices and riches, of which its members had so long kept possession harrison rich overton and a few others who retained some principle were guided by notions so extravagant that they were easily deluded into measures the most violent and most criminal and the whole army had already been guilty of such illegal and atrocious actions THAT THEY COULD ENTERTAIN NO FURTHER SCRUPLE WITH REGARD TO ANY ENTERPRISE WHICH MIGHT SERVE THEIR SELFISH OR FANATICAL PURPOSES. IN THE COUNCIL OF OFFICERS IT WAS PRESENTLY VOTED TO FRAME A REMONSTRANCE TO THE PARLIAMENT. AFTER COMPLAINING OF THE ARREARS DUE TO THE ARMY, THEY THERE DESIRED THE PARLIAMENT TO REFLECT HOW MANY YEARS THEY HAD SITTEN, and what professions they had formerly made of their intentions to new model the representative and establish successive parliaments who might bear the burden of national affairs from which they themselves would gladly after so much danger and fatigue be at last relieved they confessed that the parliament had achieved great enterprises and had surmounted mighty difficulties yet it was an injury they said to the rest of the nation to be excluded from bearing any part in the service of their country it was now full time for them to give place to others and they therefore desired them after settling a council who might execute the laws during the interval to summon a new parliament and establish that free and equal government which they had so long promised to the people The Parliament took this remonstrance in ill part, and made a sharp reply to the Council of Officers. The officers insisted on their advice, and by mutual altercation and opposition, the breach became still wider between the Army and the Commonwealth. Cromwell, finding matters ripe for his purpose, called a Council of Officers, in order to come to a determination with regard to the public settlement as he had here many friends so had he also some opponents harrison having assured the council that the general sought only to pave the way for the government of jesus and his saints major streeter briskly replied that jesus ought then to come quickly for if he delayed till after christmas he would come too late he would find his place occupied while the officers were in debate colonel ingoldsby informed cromwell that the parliament was sitting and had come to a resolution not to dissolve themselves but to fill up the house by new elections and was at that very time engaged in deliberations with regard to this expedient cromwell in a rage immediately hastened to the house and carried a body of three hundred soldiers along with him some of them he placed at the door Some in the lobby, some on the stairs. He first addressed himself to his friend St. John, and told him that he had come with a purpose of doing what grieved him to the very soul, and what he had earnestly with tears besought the Lord not to impose upon him. But there was a necessity, in order to the glory of God and the good of the nation. He sat down for some time, and heard the debate he beckoned harrison and told him that he now judged the parliament ripe for a dissolution sir said harrison the work is very great and dangerous i desire you seriously to consider before you engage in it you say well replied the general and thereupon sat still about a quarter of an hour when the question was ready to be put he said again to harrison this is the time i must do it and suddenly starting up he loaded the parliament with the vilest reproaches for their tyranny ambition oppression and robbery of the public then stamping with his foot which was a signal for the soldiers to enter for shame said he to the parliament get you gone give place to honester men to those who will more faithfully discharge their trust you are no longer a parliament i tell you you are no longer a parliament the lord has done with you he has chosen other instruments for carrying on his work sir harry vane exclaiming against this proceeding he cried with a loud voice oh sir harry vane sir harry vane The Lord deliver me from Sir Harry Vane. Taking hold of Martin by the cloak, Thou art a whoremaster, said he. To another, Thou art an adulterer. To a third, Thou art a drunkard and a glutton. And Thou an extortioner, to a fourth. He commanded a soldier to seize the mace. What shall we do with this bauble? Here, take it away it is you said he addressing himself to the house that have forced me upon this i have sought the lord night and day that he would rather slay me than put me upon this work having commanded the soldiers to clear the hall he himself went out the last and ordering the doors to be locked departed to his lodgings in whitehall in this furious manner which so well denotes his genuine character did cromwell without the least opposition or even murmur annihilate that famous assembly which had filled all europe with the renown of its actions and with astonishment at its crimes and whose commencement was not more ardently desired by the people than was its final dissolution all parties now reaped successively the melancholy pleasure of seeing the injuries which they had suffered revenged on their enemies and that too by the same arts which had been practised against them the king had in some instances stretched his prerogative beyond its just bounds and aided by the church had well-nigh put an end to all the liberties and privileges of the nation The Presbyterians checked the progress of the court and clergy, and excited, by cant and hypocrisy, the populace, first to tumults, then to war against the king, the peers, and all the royalists. No sooner had they reached the pinnacle of grandeur, than the independents, under the appearance of still greater sanctity, instigated the army against them, and reduced them to subjection the independents amidst their empty dreams of liberty or rather of dominion were oppressed by the rebellion of their own servants and found themselves at once exposed to the insults of power and hatred of the people by recent as well as all ancient example it was become evident that illegal violence with whatever preferences it may be covered and whatever object it may pursue must inevitably end at last in the arbitrary and despotic government of a single person end of section fifty three chapter sixty part six